and welcome to Cracked Glass, a Valkyrie Ensemble podcast. This is our special Mother's Day episode. Uh, I am Alana. I'm Karen. I'm Marnie. Happy Mother's Day to all of those wonderful mothers out there, people that know mothers, which should be everyone. Uh, they're, they're involved in everything. We're very grateful to be here. Um, what wow, if you didn't just know been... a mother? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, if anything, Mother Earth belongs to us all. Ooh, a solid segue, Karen. Oh, I know. But I'm moving us too lately, Marnie. It's been a busy busy couple of weeks here with Valkyrie. Um, Seriously. uh, If you're uh, tuning in and you haven't been paying attention to what we've been talking about for the last, I don't know how many podcasts it's come up in, we just put up Gaia Gala. Uh, with Valkyrie Ensemble, um, we put that we launched that on Earth Day. It's on YouTube now. It's um really really cool project. It was really awesome to see it all come together at the end. Yeah, and as the only one of the three of us who is not directly involved with the production of Gaia Gala, I can unbiasedly say that it is worth your time, and you should definitely go watch it. Oh, thank you, Alana. It was so much work. Um, so I think like almost coming into the clearing of the premiere was kind of crazy because we just had our heads down for, I don't know, probably like two months straight, longer than that. But like the really crazy intense stuff was for that long. And it was just kind of like, oh, we're, we're done. Okay. And it's our first original production, which didn't really hit me until I was watching it. I was like, wait, we, we made this. Yeah. Crazy, but yeah, definitely go check that out. Um, it was so cool. And if you haven't listened to our last podcast with Julia, who wrote the script and like came up with a ton of the concept along with Karen, definitely go listen to that. It was a super fun conversation. But um, we're actually getting ready to have our next event. Still going to be on YouTube, but it's more of like a smaller thing celebrating mothers for Mother's Day. So keep an eye out for that. That's going to be on Mother's Day, May 9th. And that's kind of what we're talking about today and getting ready for that. Yes, we are. And it is. Can I tell them what it's called? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. (laughs) It is called Mama Spill the Tea. Yes. On Mother's Day. So keep your keep your eyes out for more information on that. Such a good name. And make sure you have liked and subscribed on our YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that alert button so you get to watch these whenever they come out right away. That was a very good impression of a YouTuber. You know, (laughs) we're going to call it my impression of a YouTuber and not me just trying to be hip with the kids. Right. Listen, I think I think you're hip, Karen. You know, I try to be. I, I bought new jeans that are the high rise. They're not skinny jeans. I've not given up my my middle part yet, but you know, I'm I'm trying to stay cool. I have been doing a middle part sometimes. I've been letting my hair decide. You know, that's fair. Yeah, letting her have some agency, which is considered. Been nice. I consider doing that kind of like shoulder length cut that they all have <gasps> and then they like clip back the top, you yep. know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. See, I do just also need a haircut. So Same. My Same. hair, my split ends have gotten so bad. Yeah. Yeah. My it's... hair is mostly split ends at this point. I booked one for two weeks from now, I think. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. I will say over quarantine though, um, the bisexual Bob has been very tempting 
as well as like a pink bisexual bob. Is that the official name for that haircut? Yeah. Ah! Yeah, it is. (laughs) That's great. There's this whole TikTok trend of like when straight girls, quote unquote, realize that they're bi and like then they adopt the bisexual bob, they dye it, they start, they dye it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dye it. Oh, Marnie. (laughs) Well, I got you. Oh, I got it. I wasn't even, I was like, what? Yeah. It's I don't being know. their hair. Yes. Their hair is dyed. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, it's a whole thing. And then the other thing that's been tempting that's really trendy now is like the, the short bangs with like a little bit of a mullet situation. I can't pull like, that off. Dear God, is that cute? But dear God, I don't think it's cute on me. But You know how often you have to go get your hair cut if you have bangs? That's a good point. More than once a year, which is my which is too much. Yeah, and then you have to grow them out eventually. Yeah, Yeah, if you don't want them, that's 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 where the commitment really is. That's how I I was going to say. Speaking about hair dye, my mom's been watching um, that show called Pooch Perfect. It's like the groom dog grooming competition. Yes, with Rebel Wilson. Yes. Um, and she's been having a lot of fun with that. So she actually ordered some pet safe dye for our doodle, Maggie. So I think we're going to do like dip dye her ears or something. What color? Pink. Perfect. Um, it's her color. It's definitely Maggie's color. So I did dye my armpit hair. Oh, that's so cool. A few years talked about doing that. I did do it. I don't have a good picture. So here's what happened. So I bleached it. I bleached the hair which took forever, kind of a pain pain in the ass. And then I put blue dye on it, which it dyed my skin. So by the time the skin faded, um, I had obviously showered and like washed my armpits. So the dye started to fade. So by the time it all looked like how I wanted it to, it was already faded and like green. And then I shaved it. So overall, not worth it. Could have been cute for a day. Thanks for the review, Marnie. Now we yeah, all yeah, you're welcome. Now everyone knows. Speaking speaking of mothers, things yes. that ah! horrifying. Things that our mothers will be very proud to know about. Yes, sure. <laughs> oh, anyways, so we're talking about Sorry. it's 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 Mother's Day is coming up, uh, really nearly is. upon us. Just a reminder that now is the time to go uh, figure out what you're doing for your mom. Um, which reminds me that I need to do that for my mom. Uh, Public service announcement for our audience there. Yeah, Yeah, this is coming out a week and a half before Mother's Day, so. It is, yeah. Good. Um, So now's the time. But today we're talking about motherhood and specifically what it means to be a mom in this crazy little industry. Uh, and then possibly also we're going to, we're going to touch on moms that are written into the opera canon and, and talk about, talk about them a little bit too. Um, they almost have it worse than Disney moms, to be honest. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's a similar trope. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I was looking up some, some articles doing some research for this, uh, episode and I was just trying to find you know, people talking about their experiences being mothers um, in the opera industry, in the classical music industry. Um, and first of all, the first thing that I'd like to say is that there, it's it's relatively underreported, I would say. For an industry where, you know, there are so many women involved, you'd think that 
motherhood would be a subject that gets talked about more often. Yeah. And, you know, you can find it talked about in, like, the online forums and the groups where people are sort of talking to each other. But it's there's not that much talk about it in, you know, some of the... the um, the industry magazines and and reporting and things like that. So that was, I was kind of shocked. I thought I thought it would be a more um, ubiquitous topic. And it makes you wonder why aren't people coming forward and talking about it as much, um, or you know, committing to doing the work to writing articles about it. Is it, you know, something where there's just a lack of value in sharing that type of thing? Is it people being uncomfortable sharing their experiences? in that type of public forum. Uh, I remember from our Galentine's day gap, we had um, two mothers um, were part of that conversation and they both um, had a lot to say about their experiences as well. It just makes it, you know, even that much, that this complicated world that much more difficult to navigate. It was great insight. I mean, from someone who like, I don't necessarily plan on having children later on. It's something that I get to sort of see from the outside. And I've always heard in school, like, well, you have to consider if you want a family, maybe this isn't the right career for you and stuff like that. And I just think that that's not what this is anymore. So it was super cool to hear from people who were like knee deep in the industry who had kids and had a family successfully and things like that and how it affected them and how they navigated that and all that jazz. Yeah, and um, the the people that we were talking to during that event were um, Susan Payne O'Brien and Tess Altaveros. Thank you. It was was amazing. Oh, my gosh. It was so fun. Um, So, yeah, I kind of want to kick things off. I just want to know what sort of things that you guys have been told about... Because as as women ourselves, I am 100% certain that you have... Somebody has given you advice about whether to or not have children, when to have children, yes, what it's going to mean. I would just love to hear your experiences about what, what you've been told. Yeah. So the oh, very, off, honey. I can I'm already tell yeah. Like, that. Yeah. Told me everything. It's like, Oh, we've got a lot coming at us. So just <laughs> listeners prepare. <laughs> like kind of, it's all very general, but all very frustrating. Cause like mm-hmm. I said, I don't necessarily plan on having children. So all of this advice is already unsolicited and that's like the biggest thing that bothers me is that like because I'm female presenting I am subject to advice regarding childbirth regarding this like obligation to have children start a family xyz when like it's completely unprecedented I've never asked those questions I don't care because it doesn't really apply to me at this point if I have questions I'll ask, but like, yeah. no, I mean, the main thing in undergrad was just like, um, well, what if you want to start a family? And it was always kind of this taboo subject of like, well, it makes things more difficult and there's sacrifices that need to be made. And of course, white men were teaching that class. So it's not something that they had direct experience with. And it's just this very like, we're going to mention it, but not mention it at the same time. And, oh, we're bringing a woman in to talk about how she's had a kid and has been successful. And it's this kind of coveted thing 
in a way when you're talking about it of like, well, she's been able to do it. And it's so miraculous that she's been able to do it. And it's like, I don't know. Why, why can't we have lives if we want to have lives? Um, and there's the whole thing of like, well, if you're pregnant, this affects your singing in this way and stuff like that. And I don't know. Why aren't there people who specialize in that? Like we were saying, like, why isn't it talked about more? So that's kind of my experience. I haven't had like a ton of bereavement, but it's definitely been a part of like my growth in this industry that it's been breached to me when I'm kind of like, I'm all set. I'm all set. Uh, you know, the other thing while you were talking about that, um, that occurred to me, typically the people that have an opinion on mothers in our industry are typically people that are physically incapable of having kids themselves. This usually comes from men that have this, these opinions. Because sure. I've worked with several moms in the industry and they all are totally fine. You know, they've all been able to navigate it and it's just, yeah. I've got kids. I, I handle it the same way as, you know, any other parent, a job. Would. you know, it makes it, and it's always so much bigger of a deal when it's like, oh my gosh, this soprano just had a baby, but Lucas Meacham's wife just had a kid too. Yeah. There's so much more uh, onus on the mother in the professional industry than on the father. It's like, you don't talk about those same kind of family planning kids. It's like, oh yeah, this could be a difficult career if you want to have kids. You don't see them telling that to, you know, the tenors and the baritones and the basses in the class. Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. I think the thing that the, the funniest advice that I get or I have gotten in the past is people who are like, this is how you need to plan the timing of when you're going to have children. And you get opposite advice because 50%, yes. okay, not that like every single person is doing this, but in my very limited research, 50% of people who try to give you this advice, they're like, have kids now because then they'll be old enough uh, to sort of be like a little bit self-sufficient when your career is taking off. I did forget did to mention that? that. Yes, yeah. I did yep. get that. Or, you know, wait until you're established. Yeah, then that's the other. You get the it. opposite. They say, mm -hmm. wait and then have kids late and then you'll be able to take care of them because you'll be able to afford nannies. And it's like, I mean, obviously these things can be planned to a certain extent, but, you know, every... But everyone has to plan their career along with their lives. Yeah, exactly. Not just it's, us. And it's not <laughs> yeah. its not always 100% planable. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, or it's like, you yeah. know, you can just choose exactly when you get pregnant. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, right. I'll get pregnant on this Tuesday mm -hmm. next month. That should just time out really well with my schedule. Then I'll get a Taurus. And that I think that'll really work out with my artistic side. Whereas if I do it earlier, I'll get an Aries. And I just don't know if that's going to be as good <laughs> for like what I'm planning for my operatic career. And if I want to live in this place, you know. It's definitely going <laughs> to clash with my Aquarian energy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, anything clashes with the Aquarian energy. Oh, hey, we get along, don't we? we do, yeah, because I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> Are you guys both Aquarius? Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. I'm actually kind of like right on the cusp. Um, so I, uh, depending on where you look, I'm either an Aquarius or um, a Capricorn. You guys are both on the same cusp then. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That's wild. 
Well, I'm a, I'm a Leo for anyone who didn't notice. Um, anyway, Shocking. it's not about Anyways, me. Back to three, <laughs> three people who are not parents talking about, about parenthood in the opera industry. So yeah. one thing I, uh, one event that was like pretty big and did actually manage to make, make the news was a couple years ago when the, um, there was a soprano who was singing in Hamburg, um, and she was going to be singing Pamina. Um, I remember it was, that. It was, you remember this? Mm-hmm. It was Julie, Julie Fuchs. Yeah. Um, and she she was going to be four months pregnant during the performance, and she got fired because she was pregnant. She really did. And then the company comes out with this statement that's like, oh, well, there was going to be flying involved, and we couldn't fly her. And it's like, I, I don't know. You can't you can't keep Pamina on the ground for one show. I was rereading why does statement today, um, getting ready for this. They also were talking about how the production was going to have fight scenes, and they mm-hmm. they just had like a policy about like no fight choreography for pregnant women. But I'm just trying to think like throughout the show, and this is coming from someone who has spent a lot of time with this libretto. Too much is, time. When is there a fight scene with Pamina? Like I'm just trying to figure out where they're putting in like throwing Probably hands with monastitos. With, like, I, monastitos I was gonna or... say I think it would be when Monastitos is trying to rape her and she would probably put up a good fight. Or yeah. there all there also could be some interpretation with like the queen and the knife. There could be like some threatening there. There could also be something with Zarastro if she like attempts to kill him there are opportunities are any of them necessary no i was gonna say i don't mind the throwing hands like throw that in wherever you can but but if you're gonna fire someone over it maybe don't yeah yeah and then to just kind of to go back to we're talking about how this is like kind of underreported i mean like yeah if, if you're gonna get fired for being four months pregnant like who's gonna talk about it Four months, you're barely showing. Yeah, exactly. Two, and like the risk is not near. Just take out the fight choreography. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was, I was interested. I was looking through some of like the singer forums on online, uh, on social media, and especially when this story broke, and just the amount of women who were either like, "Yep, I never told any about my pregnancies, and I was there like six months pregnant, trying to like hide it from everybody but the costumers." Uh, wow. doing all this like insane staging that somebody said they were like on a rubber duck at like spinning those spinners sure anyways yeah um uh but it was also heartening to see that that some people had the opposite experience that they they were be they were able to um be very open about uh their pregnancy and and receive reasonable accommodations i do yeah. have a positive story um with that experience um my very first professional show, Magic Flute, I was the third spirit. It was a very exciting time. Um, our queen of the night was like seven, eight months pregnant. And they, Woof. yeah, I mean, but they were able to costume her and you couldn't really even tell when she yeah. was on stage. And Quick. I mean, even if you did, they just, they didn't need to address it. Yeah. But it was so great she had her rock that she would sit on for her entrance before Ozzy Trinist. So we have to get her set up like beforehand so she could get like in place to like sit and then be able to get up. And so I always stood backstage <laughs> and held the curtain back so it wasn't like right in her face. Yeah. For her scene. So I was like the the pregnant uh woman lady in waiting. I love that night. Um, but it was really cool just the fact that um and this was um with just the local company I was um working with um back at home within the Northwest Opera 
but it was cool to see that they were able to just navigate that for her. And at the same time, our Pamina uh, was married to Papageno and they were um, traveling around the country, just like basically not living out of their car, but they both had like a busy enough like touring schedule for their careers that they were just going from place to place. And they had a newborn and like a two-year-old with them. Nice. So to be able to see the accommodations that were made for these two really incredible singers was inspiring to see at the beginning. Yeah. So it's definitely changing. And I think a lot of that comes from seeing more women in leadership. Yeah. Quick, quick sidebar about uh, while we're on magical. Have you guys seen the Twitter fan theory that uh, the queen of the night is Papageno's mother? Stop. No. Guys. Okay. So if you don't follow Papageno on Twitter, uh, you ought to, because it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I'm not a Twitter gal. I, I understand. I yeah, fully understand. I've that. tried m- many times. I just can't do it, but I'm sure it's amazing. <laughs> that's funny. That's the theory. That's, that's the whole, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for it. I, yeah. yeah, I'm here for that. Cause they were like, why does she have an entire person hanging around just to catch birds? Like, what could that possibly she be doing with all those birds and then they were like it's totally a made up position because she's your mom and she's just trying to like yeah anyways Maybe she likes birds yeah I was gonna also... Say, but also people should believe that rich people don't need excuses to spend money on stupid things <laughs> yeah but this is a wonderful theory and i love it you should all i'm just here roll for with it, it for us. Okay, yeah no we'll, we'll go with it we'll indulge i buy into it i'm here <laughs> all right so so we, we've talked a little bit about what uh pregnancy means in in um to you know a singer's career and i don't know uh depending on who who's listening to this um you may or may not know that uh pregnancy can be very difficult um and it can also have i mean besides obviously having some very dramatic physical effects on the body can also have um some very interesting effects on your voice um i've always been really interested in this yeah um and i would love to you know you get you hear things anecdotally about people being like yes uh or people being like i didn't really learn how to breathe until i was pregnant or um yeah after after giving birth you know the hormones that are there in in uh to you know form another human being and then expel it from your body um like dramatically changed the range of your voice or this person was a a soprano and then they gave birth and they became a mezzo and that's the added the added uh um you know just like another another thing is that you might not have the same voice um coming coming on the other side yeah well and that's the thing too that like people don't really consider when we change the the repertoire that we're singing it's a huge shift into like oh I'm gonna try singing this repertoire now but along with the life change of like having a child the bodily changes that happen with that and then all of a sudden you're like dropping a human being out of your body and your voice changes it's such like I imagine obviously (laughs) um it's such a lifestyle change too. If your voice changes that drastically, you aren't going to market yourself the same. You're not going to be going after the same jobs. Like say you're singing, I'll just keep with magic flute, queen of the night. 
consistently and then you have a child and that's no longer what your voice does that's then exactly that's what happened to it's a huge life shift. teachers yeah yeah you don't have a high f anymore and then you go after singing the paminas or one of the ladies you know like it's just a huge shift in like how you market yourself and your job stability so it's a crazy shift yeah my teacher she used to audition with queen of the night that's how like good her high how solid it was like yeah she dropped to like a a b flat above the high c all of that and her voice dropped by a fourth she lost a fourth oh my goodness which was that that always was just like astounding to me but a fourth from that high b flat though i mean she still had high notes still f but still Uh, (laughs) oh my gosh um shift I've heard that most people's voices get like heavier and lower, essentially. Um, I, you know, I don't think I could not find any like scientific data to back any of this up. It's I've all only anecdotal. Heard from, from, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would love. I mean, maybe it's out there, and I just didn't look in the right places, which is very possible. But maybe I think. I mean, somebody ought to do a really full scientific study about. Yeah, that would be cool. You know, where people's voices are before, during, after, you know, things like range. uh... Breathing Mm -hmm. is huge, too. Like, how you feel your support. My God. (laughs) Your organs move. And then at the end, you have an entire other human being who is fully dependent on, you know, you or somebody else taking care of it for quite quite a while quite some time (laughs) um so yeah well and then that's the big thing to think about is you know it's like you know being motherhood is not just going through nine months of pregnancy it's like at the end of that pregnancy with all these you know physical things are happening to you you are now you know the parent of a fully separate human being that is totally dependent on you yeah Um, and you you've that's an 18 year plus commitment that you have the one thing that why it was important for me to, to talk about mothers on this podcast is you know very much within the realm of feminism you know we talk about promoting and empowering women and a lot of and oftentimes i see that w- within you know within that circle of thinking about supporting and empowering women mothers often get kind of put in a negative position where it's not necessarily always viewed as the most feminist thing to do, or there's judgment for making that choice. And that's frustrating to me because it's like, that is, you know, parenthood is a decision that, you know, should be available for everyone. I think it's an incredibly power and, you know, powerful and empowering thing to do. And we shouldn't have to limit ourselves just because of our gender to make those choices for our lives. And the fact that mothers, you know, consistent i mean we talk about mama bears you know as like something that's you know a really fierce thing to behold uh and i think it's important to at least address and say that you can be an empowered woman and also a mother and a lot of times that those things can go together and that those choices about parenthood parenthood we shouldn't be worried that we're going to be viewed negatively in that light as well yeah, I think empowerment is a really good word for like whatever you decide to do that in your career, in your relationships, in your um, 
social circles in like the operatic community, you should feel empowered to make whatever decision is right for you rather than being any sort of connotation with Mm -hmm. not having kids, having kids, starting a family, adopting a child, even getting married, whatever, you know, there shouldn't, yeah, just erasing the lines and feeling empowered to make whatever decision you want to, instead of having to consider how to accommodate other people in your decisions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I uh, was looking up, you know, again, I was, I was writing a bunch of articles about um, women who are sort of in different areas of the field um, and sort of how they juggle having having children, especially young, young children who My gosh. Yeah. are still very dependent. And I, I did actually stumble across some really interesting articles. First cool. of all, I found apparently back in 2014, a critic uh, in, um, okay, I never say this right, Glindeborn. Glindborn. I don't think I could do Glindborn. any better. Glindborn. Is it? I've... I think it's just Glindborn. But Glindborn. It's, it's... Yeah, I don't think you even put like a lot on the D. Oh, okay. Oh no. Glindborn. Glindborn. It's Welsh or something like that. Like yeah. we should ask. Don't feel bad. Any native speakers of Welsh? Uh, so at, at the Glenborn Festival, um, there was a, a critic who was talking about the Octavian in Rosencavalier and said that, she, well, first of all, there was a whole big thing because um, the comment was about that she did not look like she could possibly be a young man um, because she was uh, not even like a large person, but like curvy. She had feminine curves that could not be hidden by the costume. So everybody was obviously outraged about that. But then he also mentioned that she uh she sounded as if she was stressed by motherhood and that is literally a thing that got printed in what news, in a in a crit- critique yeah um what this was in 2014 what so, would what does that even what does that even sound like yeah so i wrote i found this article by um a jennifer rivera um who Oh, she just wrote a scathing, scathing review of this review, um, talking about what it what it is to be uh, a mother and a and a singer. Um, oh, and also just like an empathetic human being who would never write that phrase. Um, yeah, that I was shocked. I had not actually heard about that, but I did find some really interesting articles. Um, two in particular, um, one from a woman who's a who's in the Met chorus. Um, this was just from last year, actually, or 2019, <laughs> which forgot. seems like last year. Yeah, it seems like yeah. last year. Let's call it last year. And she was saying about her experience as a chorister um, and having a slightly more stable, but still very packed schedule. Demanding. Yeah. Um, and having a newborn. Um, and then I and then I found another article that was actually from this blog called Working Moms Against Guilt dot com. An interview with some um, with three different women who are actually all singing in the same production of uh, Ariadne of Naxos uh-huh. um, at the time, and it was um, just so I don't mess up anybody's name. Uh, Irene Roberts, Amber Wagner, and who was the third person? A uh, Wendy Bryn Harmer. Um, and it was talking these so these three women who all were in the same production together, who all had uh, children under the age of five, um, and so it was it was really interesting to me to see how these people, 
develop their own routines and how it's so much different to be in one place versus, you know, a soloist who's traveling across the country. Um, yeah. And the thing that comes out is that most of these people tr have to travel with either a nanny or a, um, usually it's like a family member, like a sister or a mom um, or their partner. Um, that makes uh, sense. In order to, yeah, in order to sort of have this, have this work. I mean, I think like, obviously this is not, from my experience, I'll just keep saying that. But yeah. like, I imagine homeschooling is humongous that like you would travel with someone who provided that if you were busy, like constantly going to work every single day. But it's the same thing as having like a really demanding job where you have to travel. You need support mm -hmm. um, at all angles. But it's really cool that like people are able to do that and especially three people in the same production. Like yeah. that's wildly empowering. I don't know. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think the cool more people talk about it that are open about it, that I really gathered from our conversations with Susan uh, and Tess. And of course, uh, Emily uh, Cox was there as well. Um, who's also in the non, uh, the mother club with us. Uh, just the fact that when you're open about it and when there are more and more people that share their experiences of motherhood um, that are just doing their thing, you're finding more and more of that acceptance. Like, look, I'm here to do my job. This is handled. These are accommodations I need. Mm -hmm. yeah like bringing, you know, and they're just bringing owning less it. attention to it but yeah owning yeah. it is a good term just kind of like uh, the other thing I was gonna say is I think everyone finds something that works for them mm -hmm. and I feel like in the opera industry we're always told like this is how you do this um but everyone's different everyone's kid is different and like you said you could have like a family member traveling with you your partner you can like have someone hired to like take care of them or like I don't know. I just like how individual it is and whatever works for a certain family. There's no right answer. You kind of yeah. just have to find what works for you and your family dynamic, which is very cool. Uh, that ties into an interesting thing I did want to talk about, um, you know, where it's like figuring out what works for you and your family dynamic. And the year that we just pretended didn't exist, 2020, um, really kind of showed really a lot of it. how when just normal life circumstances change when there are children involved. A lot of times the impetus does land more heavily on the mothers uh, to lean more into childcare. Um, as of uh, in, in the height of the pandemic last year, there were um, 10. So nor in normal times around seven in 10 mothers um, that have their own children work. Uh, and it's typically about nine and 10 fathers work at the um, onset of the pandemic. Um, as many as 45% of working mothers uh, living with their own school age children were actively not working. You saw roughly a third of the workforce that were mothers have to leave said workforce in order to um, adjust to having children at home and, uh, that's just crazy to me and that you don't see that same, you know, drop that you see from fathers and you would think at least, you know, yeah. once you get through pregnancy, obviously that's a physical thing that is happening to the woman, but past that it's pretty equal responsibility. And to see that, you know, that, um, that, you know, that onus again is landing more heavily on women that when it comes down to it, their careers are typically the ones that are having to get, set aside they call it you know um 
very much a, a V-shaped employment pattern. Whereas you see when disasters happen, you see for women, these big V drops of, you know, temporary loss of employment or, you know, gaps in employment and that recovering again. But, you know, even leaving, you know, we can talk about how in the opera industry, even losing a couple months of momentum in the beginning of your career can be huge. Yeah. And that's, you know, the same with any other industry. If you have to leave the workforce for a bit, that's losing that same career momentum that, you know, their partners aren't experiencing. And again, this is, you can look at individual cases and figuring out what's best for each individual. And that can still be the right answer, you know, for the mother to have to take, you know, time off of work or less time at work, but just to see that pattern, you know, that it's gotta be, you know, it's not just an individual thing. It's still a statement on the value that mothers are seen to have in society. Yeah. Which comes back to sort of the added issue of, well, you know, in America, nobody is guaranteed maternity leave. Right. In and of itself needs to be addressed. Um, But in an industry where uh, most of your income might be from freelancing, uh, the opportunity to take maternity leave doesn't really exist. You know, if you if you take maternity leave, that's income lost. Right. Um, whereas if you have if you have a job, even if you're at, like like the um, the woman in the from the Met chorus um, was able to take maternity leave um, in a way that you know a soloist would would have to make that decision about. You know, are they going to be able to take the time off uh, and lose the income, or do they need that income and there they won't have that ability? Right. So, um, in other words, uh, we really ought to restructure the way we we do parental leave in this country <laughs> and include <Yes. laughs> include freelancers. Yeah, it's a tricky logistically very tricky for freelancers because it's kind of like I mean the whole idea is that your work is inconsistent so uh yeah and I mean you can kind of try to schedule around that but but good god why (laughs) but the opportunities in this industry are not you know you can't necessarily plan them which also like planning them three months in three years in advance yeah and talking about scheduling things, I mean, we we could touch on it a little bit, but like infertility issues, people who like really want to have a family but are trying so hard and have to seek out like alternative resources for that and alternative ways of having children. It's not something you can plan. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we there is this stigma of like, well, have sex this time and you'll have a kid around this time. It's like, man people try for years and it does aren't successful and like there's a ton of different factors and again infertility like most of the time falls on the woman as responsibility so this whole like idea of yeah you could try to plan it but that's even more pressure on the woman to like well everything better be set with you so you get the timing right and it's like yeah. oh my god that's well, again, kind of it's all attitude. about you know this idea of control over women's bodies and this expectation, yes. well, you're responsible for it. You know, it's like, well, you shouldn't have gotten pregnant at this time or, you Just know. Just because I'm the incubator doesn't mean that it's my problem. Exactly. So the last thing I'd like to talk about as far as motherhood in the industry goes, um, we, we've touched on this a little bit, how it does seem to have gotten 
better. You know, if you talk to people mm-hmm. from two, you know, t- kind of two generations above us, people who were just stigmatized heavily for... Well, it's impossible. ...for deciding to have a child or, um, you know, uh, ended up losing out on massive opportunities just because they, they decided that that was, that was what they wanted to do. And it, and it seems like it is... Um, better than it once was at least um and it's a little bit more open and a little bit more talked about now um just the fact that there's a lot more visibility for mothers working within the industry i mean and every industry i mean well yeah yeah. i mean i think about going on instagram and seeing you know like world famous opera stars just saying oh yeah look and here's my like eight-year-old i was just gonna say birth and just that visibility i think instagram especially i mean and facebook but especially instagram has been huge for visibility um and like following famous people and like seeing them setting an example or like just your friend who had a child and like seeing the example that they're setting is huge has been huge for visibility so so what can we do as an industry you know we being the entire uh behemoth uh, moving forward to make sure that this momentum doesn't get lost and that we we're continuing to to make things better for for parents I mean specifically mothers we're talking about mothers today mm-hmm. but uh parents, the parents in, general. in general I mean especially being like inclusive and like opening up the door more to like shared responsibility mm-hmm. of child care between partners and things like that but I think visibility is like the biggest thing I think the more that we talk about it, the more it circulates, the more it'll live in people's minds and the more it'll be normalized, you know? And that's not saying that if you have a child and you are a mother that you're necessarily obligated to share, that's not something that like should be a thing. But if you're willing and able to set an example and like have people see what that truly looks like and it lives in the back of people's minds who have companies who are the people paying salaries who are the donors who are the sponsors that's going to be a huge shift in mentality if it just becomes a normal part of the industry um and talking about it talking about it always is a huge part of normalizing and normalizing is a huge step to change exactly I think um, a, a large portion of the responsibility here also ought to be on on companies, um, and you know we'll see once <laughs> if once this is over, yeah. um, how how things are different. But um, you know I was thinking about how so many women are traveling with with people um, to who are taking care of their children while they're like at a rehearsal day or something like that, um, which makes me think that. You know, if if you're new, if you're younger in your career, if you're not making as much money, how are you going to be able to afford to bring somebody with you, or how are you be able to afford to bring your partner with you if they have to be at work? Um, right. So there is expensive. Exactly. Well, in the first place, without traveling, but if you add travel, then you have like, I mean, I'm sure their airfare isn't covered. Yeah. Yeah, and if you have to bring, if you're bringing a nanny with you, uh, and and you know that's that's more than an hourly rate, you know, right? Of course, to have them stay with you. Yeah. Um, so I I was just thinking about how what sort of structure uh, could there be for for these companies who are bringing people in to assist with the childcare um, while people are there. I was going to say the other part of this, um, the b- bigger question you posed is, you know, just continuing to push for, you know, 
the best employment practices, you know, and having, you know, working towards, you know, being able to get, you know, like fair payments so that, you know, parents can make a choice about childcare that works best for them, whether that's, you know, hiring a nanny to come with them or finding a daycare where, where they're located at the time or having the kids stay home with grandparents, whatever decision works best for them. If you pay people decently, they'll be able to have more freedom in making those choices. Um, access to healthcare. Um, having a baby is no cheap thing. Um, maintaining a healthy child is no cheap thing. Healthcare. Um, healthcare is a huge thing. Just having policies in place, um, that, that support protect. employees that are parents yeah, um, so that they can do the best at their job, knowing that those other things are supported. So, um, what we can do is continue to just, you know, demand that visibility, demand, um, these expectations of, uh, a decent workplace treatment. Um, and that will not only help mothers, but everyone else, but definitely as we've seen from the last year, um, when there's upheaval, when there's crisis, the first people that typically that again, accommodate for others are women. And we want to be able to see them be able to navigate those things without having to sacrifice so much on a less serious note you know how like when you were a kid and your parents would go to the gym and there'd be like a daycare at the gym i'm just picturing that for opera rehearsal (laughs) yeah that's what yeah absolutely. that would be kind of fun you you go and there's a room and there's one person who is like hired to look after your kids while you're in rehearsal and they give yeah. them juice boxes like yeah. why does why does the gym have it and your job and doesn't the, have it or any company for that matter i mean yeah and yeah. i think we will see a shift you know in child care in the in the near future well i certainly hope we do anyways absolutely I, I do think there's going to be a, a change in how we view especially after this pandemic when everybody's been at home, at home. yeah yeah yeah, seriously. And also, yeah. Yeah, so healthcare, maternity leave, childcare. Yes. And just being Social a decent care. employer, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, consider and- considering other people's lifestyles. And yeah. a decent colleague. Yeah. Yes. And it all comes down to empathizing in 100%. general of thinking like it's dropping the mentality that like when you're here you're here and that's it like I've always been taught that when you enter rehearsal leave everything behind which like obviously be a professional show up be prepared be focused but that idea of like I don't want to know who you are I don't know what want to know what your life is when you're in rehearsal I think needs to go away because I think if you're not considering your employees at that point, then you're only viewing them as like pawns in commodities. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. So we've talked about real world mothers, um, kind of switch gears a little bit here and very yes. quickly. Cause I, I think we've, we've been going for a while now. Um, That's okay. We can cut the armpit thing. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Never. Um, <laughs> uh, Talk about talk about the way that women, uh, uh, where the way that mothers specifically are written in to the operatic canon. 
Um, and I just want to kick this off by sharing what I found. I found this yes. in an NPR article, but it's actually a quote from a, a paper called Feminine Endings, Music, Gender, and Sexuality uh, <gasps> by Susan McClary. I love it. Yeah. And so this is, this is the quote from it. <clears throat> <laughs> Within patriarchal societies, nubile women provide the pretext for homosocial bonding. So long as women are valued for their beauty, they will fear becoming their mothers, and men who grow up knowing the domestic authority of their mothers dread them. So mothers become either invisible or monstrous. Opera is in good or bad company, depending on your point of view. Well, so, damn. Yeah, a little bit of a... Well, this is just why we don't see mothers in things in general. I mean, even Disney kills them off at the beginning of the show most of the time. Yeah. So I, I spent a, I've spent a good amount of time thinking about mothers in the operatic canon. Um, and I have come up with my own theory about moms in opera. No. Oh, that they, oh. that they, they fall into three categories. There is the dead mom, um, where you see a character... And their lack of a mother is sort of a very important part of their character development. Just um, so I'm <laughs> screaming the song from Beetlejuice in my head right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> screaming. Uh, but some examples of this um, are Gilda and Rigoletto. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Z- uh, Zieglinda um, in the Ring Cycle. Of course, by the time she her her son Siegfried is there, she is gone. Uh, and then we even have Joanna from Sweeney Todd. Uh, so oh, Lucia yeah. fits in that category too. Yeah, and Cinderella. Um, yeah, we kind of have a, a, a surrogate mother in Cinderella. Oh, orphans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Orphans, but most of them still have a dad. Yes. Yep. Who's around and who? Uh... Yeah. Well, new- usually they're not that great either. <laughs> <laughs> Sweeney's trying. Um... <laughs> So is Rigoletto. You know, he's trying yeah. his, his hardest. The They're trying. So the dead mom. <laughs> then we have the mean mom. And this is just where the moms are kind of like just either just incredibly mean um, or they are they are trying to be like they're the, like the authority figure that the, the children are like sort of pushing against. Yeah, they're they're invalidated. Mm-hmm. because of their opinions because of their position yeah so mean mom i think the the prime example of mean mom would be clytemnestra in electra oh um, so i thought you were gonna yeah oh what were you gonna say queen queen of the night yeah <laughs> queen of the night yes there's there's the other one i don't know i think clytemnestra is she gets even like a shorter end of the stick because well that's fair although less less popular sure but sure. very yeah, you're right queen <laughs> of the night um i've always norma? seen Electra twice <laughs> do you think about norma i mean she's she's like the heroine of the opera but like she kind of has a tepid relationship with her children she was ready uh, to kill them yeah well and then talking about actually killing your children medea um <gasps> hell yeah Ugh. yeah uh and then if you think about more of like the the mother being like the scolder, you have Gertrude from Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mom in L'Enfant et les Sortilèges by Ravel, mm-hmm. um, who's just there to sort of chastise the child. Until and the they, end where it's just like, okay, come here. Yeah, they kind of make up at the end, but there has to be some like a bit of an apology from the mom, even though the mom is just, you know, trying to... Just being a mother. Uh, raise a hellion. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. 
and then the third, the third kind of mom is the one who is just made to suffer. <laughs> um, yeah. And that would be like Chocho-san um, uh, yep. in Man and Butterfly. Uh, she obviously ends up killing herself for in order to give her child a future. Um, the mother from a mall and the night visitors who is sort of stuck in poverty and making questionable decisions because of that. Um, I, I think Azucena from Trovatore um, fits in here. Uh, sure. <laughs> that one kind of floats. <laughs> I don't know it as well. I got to yeah. admit, but I, from the little that I remember. <laughs> but think about it. None of these have are associated with positive attributes. You don't have, I mean, at least from the top of my head of like the main canon there's not just a role that's a mother yeah that i mean and again you don't see any of those in the comedies typically so thing about moms uh yeah again i spent a lot of time thinking about this i love it um i gotta say the one mom i can think of from the operatic canon who's like just there being a, the best mom that she can be is the mom in little women which is based on a book written by a woman. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I really can't think of any other stories where the mom is just like a a neutral or a positive figure in the in the story. I'm trying. I mean, I'm circling around really slowly because I got to play out all the complicated plots in my head. Yeah. Another but... one... Another one is um, in, the, in the comedies, you sometimes get a mom who is looking out for their kid, um, but very often like a very kind of scheming way. Yeah, um, yeah. Like not Despina, not that Despina is a mom, but like kind of a Despina figure of like. Yeah. And I was thinking of Alice Ford in Falstaff. Yeah. Oh, right. Who's like, all right, we're going to trick my husband uh, into allowing uh, Nanetta, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. She's not actually in the or her name's Anna in the in the play, right? Well, whatever. It's Anne. Anna to, Anne. Into being yeah, it's able originally to, Anne. 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 Into um being able to marry her her uh love instead of the random guy her dad picked out for her. So she's another one who's like a good mom, but only she only gets to be a good mom because she's like scheming against her right. uh her husband and the patriarchy, you know. Right. And then also another fun mom is Marcellina from Figaro. I was about to say, I just remembered about Marcellina. So I was thinking, I was playing through Figaro. That's what took me, that's what my brain was doing. And Marcellina, like, at first is awful, is the worst. Because she's like, well, I'm going to marry him. I want my money. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. But then turns into like, oh my God, I have a spatula on my arm too. (laughs) That's so cool. I love you. And then everything's fine. So like she turns out to be good. But at first, yeah, she is demonized for like her own. But we don't know she's a mom Mm -hmm. when she's being kind of the villain. Okay, so this is an interesting one. Because with Marcellina, she's nasty until she finds out she's... Well, I mean, she knew she was a mother, but like really like has the ability to act as someone's mother and this is her redemption and you see her yeah. be like super mom the rest of the show i mean let's be honest she's a plot device <laughs> oh 100 but we gotta <laughs> it's interesting to think about that you know yeah it is it is that like her figuring out that she's a mother kind of like neutralizes the threat her story yeah the threat the her storyline mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. there's too much going on anyway that 
Yeah, um, <laughs> there certainly is. So I'm so sorry. Was there a question of like, think of an operatic mom? Because I'm very excited about yes. the one that I thought of. Yes. What, <laughs> if you have a favorite operatic mother. I do. Yeah, let me know who it is. Yeah, it's the mom from Dead Man Walking. Oh, oh my yeah, god! I hadn't even thought of that. Mrs. Desrochers. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, she does... a few moms in... Dead yeah, there's talking. there's three, three 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 moms, um, and unfortunately they all fall into your third category of yeah the grieving mother, um, but for very good purpose. And I also feel like we could briefly talk about Sister Helen, the yeah, child, sure. the person who's childless in that show, being an advocate for just like respecting human life. And things like that. And oh man, we should do an episode of I love Dead Man Walking so much. Um, but the kind of like disrespect that she gets from the murdered kids parents because she doesn't have a child. And like, how could you ever possibly understand loss if you've yeah. never lost a child? And then I mean it's this whole like yanking case, for those of you who don't know it, of like the death penalty, essentially. And uh, maybe it's too complicated to talk about, but like, yeah, Joseph Desrochers' mom is basically the whole time grieving her son being put to death. And it's heartbreaking, but I mean, who wrote the, not, I know Heggie wrote it, but was it McNally? Yes, it was Terrence McNally. Terrence McNally. Okay, thank you. But I think Heggie and McNally, she's like the best plot device ever because it demonstrates the humanity of, even though Joseph Desrochers is a criminal, he's still someone's child. And I'd just like to quickly point out that this is also a book uh, based on a book yes. by a woman, by... Uh, by a nun, by Sister Helen Prejean. You're uh, right. So not a mother herself, but... But really, what we keep circling around is representation in creatives, such as composers and librettists and directors and those sorts of things, help us to create more characters that are women, that are mothers. Yeah. Yeah. That... I was just... I was thinking about that recently because I just saw... Oh, for uh... more depth. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um... Taking Up Serpents uh, by Kamala Sankram. Yes. Um, at COT, oh, yeah. the Chicago Opera Theater. And I forgot to watch that. that that's, a, that's another opera that really hinges on the relationship of the mother and the daughter. Um, mostly it's about the mother, or the, the daughter and the father, but the mother uh, is sort of tangential to that relationship. And it's, uh, yeah. it's another one where it's like, oh, I was written by a woman. Uh, and Look we at have that. this really dynamic mother-daughter relationship that changes and adapts over time. And uh, yeah, another uh, contemporary, also Jake Heggy, Three Decembers. Oh, see, but the mom oh. in that is a mess. But she, it does get to be her own character, and I think just even representative of flawed characters. I mean, just the fact that so many more of our examples of like, oh, hey, that's like something a little bit different are all more contemporary, which I think is a good sign. We're seeing more and more works coming out that are reflecting, you know, motherhood in different ways, or at least I, not just in a way that's a trope. You know what I mean? I gotta say, I am not the biggest Three Decembers fan, and I, I don't know that it very mother well. was completely a trope. 
that she's like this mom who's not there for her kids and the kids resent her and is she like demonized essentially yeah i mean it comes comes out in the end that she's keeping this big secret and they kind of i mean they kind of have a a bit of a redemption at the uh, at the end Um, sure but i i don't know i see her as like such the epitome of like this sort of the matriarch who's not doing anything right and she's, yeah she's got these issues that never really resolve well not to bring it back but to bring it back because it's the best ever um that's why i love mrs Desrochet so much is like sister helen pulls at your heartstrings so much in dead man walking but the mom solidifies it and like that's when I cry. I mean, I cry through the whole thing, but like that's what really pulls on you mm-hmm. and drives home the point of humanity and stuff like that. And I just think that's so powerful for all of that to rest on her. Like he could have, they, I should say, could have had that responsibility lay solely on Sister Helen, solely on Joseph Desrochet, but it's this third like outlier character who's not in all these conversations in the jail cell and stuff like that, that really drives it home. And it's kind of like the voice of the audience in a way of like this outsider who is feeling this pain really greatly. So I don't know. It's just like a beautiful use, even though she is part of your, one of your three of like the function of a woman who's grieving and that's what makes you feel something. Um, it's used beautifully, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, and I will say, this was a very, like, slapdash. I, I didn't really... Oh, but uh, I love it, though. Good, thank you. Thank no, you. I think you're <laughs> right on. And also, there's something to be said, like, opera is very elevated emotionally. So, yeah, you're not going to find a character who's just, like... Who's blah. A good person, because what's what's interesting about that? Yeah, what's... Nothing. What's operatic <laughs> about that? That's true. Although, that... I believe it was the second one possibly of just like, I don't know, that thing you said about men like fearing women or like being annoyed by women and like the Mm -hmm. nagging Mm -hmm. trope and like we have to constantly be afraid of turning into our mothers and stuff like that. That really hit home because I think that trope is so present and women get put in that position in media a lot of like well and even just in relationships talking about relationships like well the woman wants it to be clean but the man doesn't want it to be clean and like you're obligated to turn into a mother figure mm-hmm. by being in a relationship yeah <laughs> in society and i'm like no and talking about how that comes out in opera is very interesting yeah karen do you have a favorite operatic mother Oof. Save me from a, talking about Dead Man Walking. Good, bad, or ugly. That was a great... You know, I hadn't even thought of Dead Man Walking, Ryan. It's Thank you for, for bringing favorite. that up. Of course. That's a really tough call. Mothers in opera that are my favorite. I think, I mean, this might be basic, but I think Queen of the Night is a really interesting character. Obviously, she is... She is interesting. Very flawed. Um, but it's like typically the type of like 
domineering type of role you see from a parent in opera does often come from the father. You will marry this man. You will do this. <laughs> and, you know, to see that, you know, coming through from... Well, one, you see Ozzy Trunicht, where you see, you know, it's literally a mother's plea. That's what gets the whole thing going. Is like, as a mother, please go and rescue my daughter. So, like, motherhood is very much part of her identity. She's also extremely powerful all the way throughout. The libretto gets iffy because it's like, look at this. She's a woman and powerful, and we can't have that. That is bad. So you have to remember, like, that's going on in that, too. But I think she's just a fascinating character that, you know, while not justified in her actions, has righteous anger about them. Well, I, I got, I'm with you. I, yeah. I and like, again, motherhood I, is all part of that and wanting to do this for Pamina, too. Well, and I think if you portray her in the right way, it can be really empowering especially Ozzy I mean, that's the best. But like she, I think she, there's more opportunities for her to be vulnerable that a lot of directors and productions don't give her. Um, yeah. But I think Ozzy I mean, the first half is like so tragic. It's yeah, like exactly. Literally yeah. begging for the safety of her daughter who's been like abducted. So like, please help me it's very vulnerable and like yeah even though her intentions aren't great she still has like a powerful drive and motivation which is again think about the mama bear thing you get in between a mama bear and her cubs she's gonna rip you up again that's like maybe that's not the best thing you could do in that situation but that's what your instinct's gonna be and again you know the queen of the night her daughter's threatened so yeah did she go a little overboard (laughs) a bit and again that's not to say she's a perfect person but you can see where that depth is and how her identity as a mother is not she's not necessarily victimized by it she acts on it yeah she's she's empowered yes i was thinking when you were talking about how you did that production where the queen of the night was pregnant uh and i was like that could be a fascinating take like yeah you know if 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 it's in the context of she's having all these, she's sort of re-evaluating her relationship with her her own children mm. in the wake of becoming a mother again and looking at the possibility of being a mother to a, another child and sort of how that would fit into the context. Uh, I think that would be... No, it is interesting. That's really powerful because it brings her down to a much, well, it could, it doesn't have to, but the opportunity presents itself for her to be a lot more vulnerable and tender with herself and like more introspective rather than like this constant outward energy that she tends to put out. That and would it would be explain so more of that volatility. Yeah. Mm. I you mean, know, vulnerability breeds volatility. Also for anyone who, who thinks that... Um, De Heleraka is like the better aria. You're wrong. Um, sorry. <laughs> You're wrong. The first one's better. Sorry. <laughs> we a should probably pull pull off a magic flute because I know oh, further fine. down the line we're gonna talk about it so God, so so much. A lot of what's your favorite mother? My favorite mother in opera. Yeah, yes. I was thinking about this, and I do think that there. I I was thinking about like how in uh, the Marcadomo Little Women the mother is it's like refreshingly bland in a way that is just like 
she's trying her best. Uh, she, and in some way, I think she is also like a suffering mother because we do talk, um, you know, her husband's at war and they have to deal right. with with that and all that entails. Um, but I think my favorite, my favorite moms uh, in opera and also in like the whole, um, you know, Western artistic canon um, come from from Greek uh, tragedies. So I, I'm a sucker for... Um, for Clytemnestra and Medea and um... Medea is the best. Oh yeah, I mean, wow. I saw this production in Berlin where she was like, someone was on fire. She was rolling around in the dirt and like screaming. Oh, very good. And very it was good. awesome. And I never want opera to be anything less than that. So, yeah, I work I on the mud pit for to... Yeah, good. <laughs> I think we will have to settle for people not always being on fire, but otherwise, yeah. I guess. Listen, I'll <laughs> settle. I'll settle. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I've just been like on this like whole Greek mythology kick. I'm reading the new translation of the Odyssey right now. Ooh. Um, I'm really thinking about uh, by um, I think her name is Emily Owens. I can't remember, but a uh, new translation of the Odyssey. And I was, I was just finished reading this section about the relationship between Penelope and Telemachus and how, you know, that, that friction between mother and son, especially if there's like an absent patrol figure. But I was thinking, uh, you know, I, I, um, I've played Clytemnestra, not in Electra, but in, um, um, a different, a different version of a different opera. From Opera Fest. Yeah. Yeah. From Opera Fest. Um, I did know that. It just seems so long ago. Yeah, it was. It was years ago. Holy cow. Yeah, don't think about it too hard. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, Clytemnestra, I mean, like, her husband murdered their child. And then you're supposed to think that she's, like, mean and unhinged for wanting revenge on Yeah. Uh, or Medea, same thing. Uh, yeah. You know, her kids, her, her husband remarried you know just left her in the dust and she's like yeah my kids they're probably gonna get murdered because they uh you know could be uh competitors for the success the the line of succession so she's like i might as well kill them myself instead of let them be killed by these strangers yep and you know that's just like that's insane that's crazy like you have to make that kind of decision yeah 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 so I don't know. I I've just got a soft spot for the for the Greek ladies right now. I get that. I mean, it's epic, just epic. I yeah. also loved that in the production of Electra we had two years ago that Clytemnestra's boobs were just out. Oh yeah, what a that was wild rad. and like bald. I yeah. I still am not. I know that production gets done all over the place. I I still am like what. <laughs> I think I've it's never... just rad. It looks cool. It looks yeah. crazy. It puts me in the right headspace. I'm like, dear God. All right, here we go. It's like with the people looking like this, I'm not surprised that any of what happens in the plot transpires. Cause like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. You look like that. Sure. It's not a huge jump to go to you acting like this. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Well, so. this has been fabulous. <laughs> um, I think, should we wrap it up? I think yeah. we should. Would you like All to right. remind everybody? I would love to remind people. So this comes out on the 27th. Mm-hmm. And in just a week and a half, we have our Mother's Day YouTube video, Mama's Spill the Tea. It is going to be so much fun, really adorable, and a great way to 
honor mothers and celebrate Mother's Day. So definitely keep an eye out for it. I don't know if we have a time yet, but keep an eye out. <laughs> it's May 9th. It'll be on that day. It will be um, on that day. And it's kind of like a brunch vibe. So it'll probably be in the morning, like 11. Let's go with 11. Solid. Yeah. Oh, ma- so. Make your mom some brunch, order your mom some brunch, and then show oh, the video together. Have a mimosa. There you I go. We've that. planned your day for you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, our next podcast comes out on May 11th, again, every um, other Tuesday. Uh, and that's a so- history lesson. Yes. We're going to class. We get awesome. the female troubadours. I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh, yes. good. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about the lady troubadours, the troubadours. Yes. <laughs> I assume I'm saying that wrong. So I love blanket, that though. Blanket apology there. Well, we have two weeks to make sure we pronounce it right. All right. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.